Most of the time, when you come to church and you hear a message, it's on a topic that you already know something about. In other words, if we're going to talk about prayer, you already know a little bit about prayer, but a good message helps you put some feet to it, right? I mean, you know you're supposed to pray, right? You didn't know that? How many of you know you're supposed to pray? Okay. So a message on prayer, just kind of, you already know that. Uh, A message on giving. You already know that we're supposed to do tithes and offerings. And so a message on giving, you already know that, but it just motivates you or helps you put those steps together. You know that we're supposed to be people of forgiveness. So, So again, it's a topic that doesn't catch you off guard, but it hopefully assists you to be able to see how you can do it even even better. Occasionally, though, a message comes along that speaks to your blind spots. And you haven't seen this for X number of years, but that morning, that day, that time, it all just opens up. About three months ago, uh, Ethan sent me a sermon he wanted me to watch, and it was from a guy that I didn't know, and it was a conference speaker, and I I don't dislike conference speakers. They're usually a little more heavy on connecting than they are on content, and I don't really need a cheerleader at this point in my life, you know, so I'm more excited about some depth and some Bible teachers, and so I thought, well, I'll watch it. It'll, It'll be fine. But it was one of those messages that if I can embrace it, it will forever change the trajectory of my life. That's what this is today. This today is not something that maybe you're going to catch on and just improve. This is probably a blind spot for many of us in this room. And if you embrace this, And quite frankly, this is a story from Jesus that I've never understood. If you can get your mind and wrap around this and choose to spend the work to get there, it will, I guarantee it, it will change you and it will change your family and it will change everything about the kingdom of God. So it's a tough passage. Let's stand together and we'll read it together. I'll actually read it. Just stand with me if you would. And we'll read this out loud. I'll read this. Just hang on with me. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So when it says leaving that place, he left Judea. He left the land of Israel. And now he's in Lebanon. So he's north. He's outside of the home turf. And he's in another area, another country, basically. This is the Lebanon or Lebanese. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region. That's where Lebanon is, Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, again, that's a different nationality, from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So there's Jesus. There's a woman. There's a problem. He's, He's there, and she's saying, here's what the issue is. She's suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Hmm. So the disciples came to him, and they urged him, send her away. This is great evangelism by the disciples. (laughs) For she keeps crying out after us, and he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This is Jesus? Hmm. Story gets worse, actually, before it gets better. 
The woman came and she knelt before him. Lord, help me, she cried. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Have you ever understood this passage of Scripture? I mean, this is Jesus, the great shepherd. This is Jesus, the compassionate one. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. That's a good response. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Find somebody around you right now and say, you really need this sermon, and then have a seat, all right? Find someone, you need this sermon. We live in an era, you're finding more people that need this, aren't you? I hear that. We live in an era where there is great offense. Everybody today seems to be offended. Being offended almost seems to be a constitutional right today. Women are offended. Men are offended. Homosexuals are offended. Heterosexuals are offended. Republicans are offended. Democrats are offended. Baby boomers are offended. Millennials are offended. You, you, you talk about offense. Saints are offended. Sinners are offended. Some of the offenses are silly. Some of them are incredibly serious. We live in an era today where everybody seems to be throwing mud up against the wall and trying to offend. That offends me. That's offensive. Now, what's so interesting about offense is it always creates a fence, literally. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do in your marriage. It's exactly what he wants to do in your family. It's exactly what he wants to do in your community. It's exactly what he wants to do in your, you just name it. And he is creating fences. And so these fences come from offenses. Well, that offends me. Well, that's offensive. Well, that offends me. And all what happens at this point is we continue to build fence after fence after fence, and now there's a separation between us. It is the enemy's intent to put separation between you and your spouse. Build walls. Build separation. Don't have intimacy. Don't have great communication. Don't have connection. Build walls. It is the enemy's intent to do that with every one of you as parents with your children, children with your parents, grandparents to great-grandchildren. It's his intent within the family. This is how he'll destroy the family is put up fences. That offends me. I'm, that's offensive. And so now I build a wall. I build a wall. I separate. I separate. I separate. You think about businesses, the people that you work with. Go to your neighborhoods your mobile home parks, or your townhomes, or your apartments, or your suburb neighborhoods. The fences that get taking place because of offenses that have happened. It is his goal to get us to be offended. Now, in our story, Jesus is incredibly offensive. Right? Do you find that story offensive? I do. And yet, Jesus doesn't build fences to keep you from your miracle. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus knows that unless you get over your offenses, 
you will never get to your miracle. And he has a miracle in store for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And in this story, if we can just wade through this story, we begin to realize that your miracle and my miracle is on the other side of my fence. Well, let's unpack this just a tad. And we see a couple of points. Jesus does not say it's impossible not to be offended. He does say it's impossible for offenses not to come. You can't go to the grocery store without the potential of being offended. You cannot go to the bank without the possibility of someone saying or doing. You can't drive on US 19 without the potential of having a 30-second offense every 25 feet. It's just going to happen, isn't it? And, and so he's not saying that, it, 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 that it's impossible for, you can't live in a bubble. You don't live in a bubble. I don't live in a bubble. We live in a real world. It's not what he's saying. He does not say it's impossible not to be offended. Here's what he does say. Offenses are going to come. Your spouse is going to offend you. Your children are going to offend you. Your senior pastor, of course at a different church, is going to offend you. Everybody's going to offend you at some point in some way. Offenses are going to come, but it's optional for me to get offended. Now, that's a game changer right there. That's where the music changes. Pay attention. Offense is what happened, but being offended is a, it's a choice. Offense says you did it. But offended says, I'm never going to forget what you did. I'm going to build a fence. I will always remember what you did. These are all on your app. If you download the Harborside, if you're new today, I'll try not to offend you, but these are all on the Harborside app, and you can download this, and all this material is there for you. See, offense is an event. You're going to have people say and do things incredibly offensive. You are. But being offended is a decision. Offenses are inevitable, but being offended, it is what? It is optional. So I I studied this passage of Scripture for about three months, and I thought, what in the world is he saying here? What, what, What is that application, Lord? This is a tough story, but it's in Matthew. It's in there because you want us to learn from this. So let me back into this just briefly. I was 28 years old when Danita and I went to Memphis, Tennessee to a church, and they'd had some struggles and some issues, and so it's my first full-time senior pastorate, and I'm 28, and she's 25. What business did we have being senior pastors? Very little. And so I had four of the meanest old men in that church that any church has ever had who were out to get me every Sunday. It was the strangest thing. It, it didn't matter um, how long I preached, if it was too long or too short. It didn't matter what the topic was. They totally disagreed with everything that I said. These four mean old men were literally out to get me. Um, their wives were in the bathroom with Danita one time, and they knew Danita was in there in the bathroom, and they started talking about how horrible the sermons were. And they probably were horrible. I, I, I can own up to that. But to put her through that was just, just mean. And I will say that I had the wonderful privilege of burying all four of those men. (laughs) 
God is just. He's, he's just. And so the elders just saved me. I'm a young pastor, 28 years old, and every Sunday, two elders would stand beside me. Two other elders would be past the doors, and so when these different men came through, they would reach out, grab those men, pull them through the doors, distract them. Oh, you look nice today, Mr. So-and-so. You look, and, and, and it, it hadn't been for, the, for that team of elders, I, I'd have never made it. But on every Monday morning when I was preparing a sermon for the next week, who do you think I thought about? Do you think I was really asking God for great sermons? I'm thinking about those four mean old men. And every Sunday I'm writing a sermon hoping that those guys will somehow approve of what I'm trying to do. And for about two years, all I could think about was those, you know, those four guys. You see, when, when you build a fence, what's wrong with that is he's got great things for you to do. And you can't do great things when all your emotional capital is tied up in the past. And that's what happens with offenses. Because offenses, you're building a case, you're building a story, I'm right, he's wrong, I'm right, she's wrong, this is why this has worked. And all your emotional capital goes in the past. It's all in the rearview mirror, it's not in the windshield, and you've got great things to do. You've got big things to do. What's wrong with building your fences is that it enables you not to move forward with all the kingdom activity that he has in store for you. And so you think about the scriptures that says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, minds cannot conceive, the great things God has in store for you. And when you're so bogged down with, that offends me, and I'm offended, and I can't believe she, I can't believe him, I can't believe them, you will never accomplish the great things that he has in store for you to do. And let's be honest, we got some big things to do. We got some great things to do. All those children that were on stage, that's just a microcosm of all the worshipers that are back there every morning. This is an incredible team then of, of interns. Again, just a, a sampling of all the teenagers. Folks, we got big things to do. Next Sunday, I can't wait to share with you about some things that are going on. We got things that God, and he has a plan for you. But when you're offended, it's all your emotional cap. You're all knotted up can't even go forward with the great things that he has in store for you to do. What, what's your level of offendability? I'm sure that's not a word, but today it is, okay? What, what, what's your level of offendability? Is it low? Is, is, is it high? Let's unpack this passage of Scripture uh, just a little bit. Because, see, your miracle is on the other side of your offense. Well, again, it's a Canaanite woman from Lebanon. She cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. The issue is my daughter's demon-possessed and she's suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. You got to be kidding me. She's pouring out her life. She's pouring out her heart. She's pouring out what's going on, what's, what's wrong. And Jesus, to me and to you, just commits the offense of being ignored. He ignores her. Now, we've all been ignored in this room. You've all sent out a group text and nobody responded. You've all walked into a room where somebody should have said, good morning, hello, how are you, stood up, greeted you, hugged you, and you were ignored. 
All of us in this room have been offended by being ignored. Jesus, the great shepherd of his sheep, ignores her. Wow. He is offending, offending her in the highest of ways. You've been offended by being ignored. It gets worse. So his disciples came to him. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. The disciples did not take any Dale Carnegie courses at this point, how to win friends and influence people. So the disciples basically, I, I, I'm going to call this the, the offense of an institution. And all of us in this room have been offended by some institution, a business, a partner, a company, a neighborhood, a team, a sorority, a fraternity, all of us in this, a church. Again, you can't go to church for 10 years anywhere and not be offended. Somebody in a church within 10 years is going to offend you. And the disciples represent the offense of an institution. We've all been offended by an institution. We've all called somebody and we get an answer machine or get a number and press one, press three, press 17. I mean, all of us have had that. And we're like, are you kidding me? I'm a shareholder. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an owner. So we've all had an institution. So I, I just want to say that you never project onto man the character of God. Because the character of God's never let you down. But people have and people will. But in this case... They're hurting her. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus, what are you doing? And this offense is really the offense of insignificance. Have you ever walked into a room and felt like you were invisible? You really didn't matter? It really wasn't that important? Let me try to explain and share this for just a second. We were um, lobster fishing in Marathon, the Marathon Keys, a few years ago. And we were finding lobster and spotted some more lobster and kind of in a hurry. I was in the water. And I don't know why I didn't use the ladder to get in the boat. Seemed like a good idea at the time to scissor kick myself up into the boat. Okay, I'm not 20 anymore, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. And the engine was off, but the prop was too close, and I kicked the razor-sharp prop with my foot. Blood is everywhere. The shark said, hallelujah, you know. <laughs> and, and so um, I'm at the Marathon Hospital. Anybody know where the Marathon Hospital is? It's kind of an oxymoron. It's really not a hospital. It's really not fair. It's about a three-room, you know, Band-Aid station. So I, I'm in the, the hospital there, and... The doc numbs up my foot, you know, gives me a couple of those shots in my foot. I kid you not, he's getting ready to put the first stitch in, and somebody else walks in, and they've got a broken ankle, broken foot, and so he has to tend to them, minister to them, get them on an ambulance, and send them now to Miami to a foot surgeon. When he comes back to me, my foot is no longer numb, and so now he's got to numb me up again. Praise God, it was a good afternoon. So now I get numbed up a second time, and he gets ready to put the first stitch in. Denise is the gospel truth. Denise is right beside me. Somebody else comes in with a much more major need. It's another hour 
I'm on the t- I'm no longer numb. I said, Doc, you got to be kidding me. He says, no. And I said, sir, I'm telling you, this is it. Third time's a charm or get me some duct tape. I, I'm out of here. I am out of here. And, of course, it worked. But the point is, sometimes something more serious comes along. I mean, if you're in the hospital, like, with a sprained ankle, and somebody comes in with a heart attack, they're going to put you in a chair with some ice. Right? And they're going to take care of, hopefully, the person that's having, having a heart attack. In this story, it just seems like she has no significance. And, and Jesus says, look, I, I've come to only help my people, and you're not my people. And then the last offense in this story, the woman came and she knelt. Now, now if you're 0 for 3, would you give up? Not, not this lady. Lord, help me, she said. And Jesus replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Is he calling her a dog? This is Jesus. If you're a critic of Christianity, I would start with this passage right here. <laughs> this is one you've got to work through. Now look at this. This is the offense of being insulted. Who of us in the room has not been insulted? By people we love. In fact, the closer we are, there's nobody that can insult you like your family. Amen? Don't act all spiritual out there. Come on now. There's nobody that can insult you like your family. See, you can only be insulted in the context of relationships. If you don't have a relationship, you're not going to be insulted. If you don't care about the subject, that subject matter is not going to insult you. It's only when you care about the subject and you care about the people. So every relationship that you have is a context to be offended. You can only be offended by people that you really like, and by people that you know, and by people that you care about. You're not going to be offended by people you don't know, and you don't care, and you don't like. So let me, let me weed into this story for, for just a second, because um, I didn't handle this well. I want to tell you what I didn't do right. And so this was like X number of years ago before we had the wedding chapel. In fact, we hadn't even started the construction of the wedding chapel. And I was doing a wedding off-site. I'm not going to tell you where because it's a good place, good institution. But I'm doing a wedding off-site. And the wedding was to start at 5.30. And at 5.30 was when the wedding would begin. And so now it's 5.25. And I'm standing there with the groom, with the wedding coordinator, the male wedding coordinator, with the groom and with the groom's dad. And um, it's now about 525, 526, and I can see all 75 harborsiders. But I look to my right at the parking lot, and I can see about 20 or 25 more harborsiders are getting out of their car, and they got four minutes to make it to be seated properly. And it's 5 now, 26, let's say, and the wedding coordinator said, Go. I said, Go. Um, we've got like four more minutes. No, go. And I said, well, we don't want to go yet. I said, look at the parking lot. There's still 20, 25 people. And he went like this. He said, I'm the wedding coordinator, and I told you to go. I lost my halo. I did. 
And I said, I'm not going. I'm going to let them be seated, and then we're going to do this wedding. So far, so good. I haven't sinned yet, right? It's coming. It's coming. So I'm torqued now through the entire wedding ceremony. I do the ceremony. We get through it. went well. And then I go find the coordinator. And I said to him, this was not professional. We're two professionals, and you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, And he bowed up, and I bucked up. And all of a sudden, I can feel my daughter Erica, thank goodness Erica was there, my oldest, and she's pulling on my suit jacket saying, come on, Dad, come on, Dad, come on, Dad. This isn't worth it. You're going to be in the front page of the Tampa Times. Come on. This, this is not worth it. Come on. And so um, I, she's dragging me out of the wedding, literally, off the campus. And I got into my car, and I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And, but I did say to Erica on the way out, I said, let's not tell your mom about this. <laughs> Let's, let's let this go. And I, it was six months before I ever told Denise. I told Jesus immediately, but it was six months. Right? Now, now, here's what happened. He offended me. He offended me. He had no respect for me, for my role, for my position. And what did I do? I got offended. That was offensive. I'm going to protect Harborside. Harborside's my, they're, they're my sheep. I'm gonna, but, but I went far beyond what I should have done in that particular situation. And you know what happens then? All of a sudden at that point, you can't think straight, you can't act straight, you can't respond as Jesus would want you to do. So here's what she says. She says, yes, Lord, you're right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, this is awesome. After all those offenses, she continues to go and ask Jesus to do something great in her life. And I love this, because your life is determined by who your master is. If you are the master of your life, you will get offended at the smallest things. If he is the master of your life, you learn to overlook those offenses, because what happens in your life now is he becomes your miracle. And Jesus said to the woman, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. At that moment, she was healed. Your miracle is on the other side of your offense. Your miracle is on the other side of your fences. You've got some fences in your life right now, but I guarantee you, Jesus is trying to get you on the other side. And it's a blind spot because you justify your fence and you justify your offense. And you keep telling the same story over and over and over again as to why you're offended. And he's going, I got great things for you to do. I got big things. And if you're worried about the small things, you'll never get to the big things. And that's what the Lord spoke to me about this message. Kurt, you, me, Harborside, all of us, we got big things to do. We can't get bogged down by the small stuff of life and let it get us all knotted up. Now, there's 15 illustrations of this besides this one. I'm going to give you one more. If I give you too many, you won't remember any of them. I'll give you one more. Jesus came through Samaria, and he's sitting down at a well, 
And he sends the disciples into town, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Publix, whatever, to go get food. It's, it's the same thing as today. He sent them into a, to a grocery store. And while they're there, he has an appointment with a woman. Now, he knows this woman, and he knows he's going to be offensive. He's going to offend the stew out of this lady because he knows her miracle is on the other side of the offense. And so he says to her, give me a drink. And she says, well, how, why would I, you're a Jewish guy and I'm a Samaritan woman. And he said, yeah, but if you knew who I was, you know, I'd give you living water. And she's going, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. And how are you going to give me this living water? And so, you know, Jesus is, it's going pretty good. And Jesus says, uh, go, go call your husband. Jesus, this is like terrible evangelism. Go call your husband. And Jesus, she says, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know, I know. You've had five. You've had five husbands. Talking about in your face, you've had five husbands. And by the way, you're now living with some guy who's not your husband. And, and Jesus is all the time going to get her to her miracle. Because she discovers that he is living water. He is the well. He is the freshness. He's the spring. She's been looking for a man all her life who would love her unconditionally. And every man has used her and abused her. But here's a man who just loves her unconditionally. She's overwhelmed with Jesus. Your miracle is on the other side of your offense. I don't know your list of offenses. I don't know how many of these you've erected and put up, and I don't even care. Because you want to get to the other side. You don't want to stay over here. with the. You want to get over here where your miracle is. So I walked away from that encounter at some other place with a wedding coordinator that didn't go so well. And I thought to myself, what just happened here? What, what did I just do? And I came up with this word picture. And it's really with a the thermostat. Remember these old thermostats? How many of you remember these old thermostats? Yeah, you're old. You're old. Okay. And, and so we, we got these thermostats, and, you know, we got a little more high-tech. You know, we thought these were cool. And, and you know, remember those? Remember those? Yeah, those were okay, weren't they? And, then we really got sophisticated. You know, now, now we got something. We're saving energy. We're spending thousands of dollars on a new system, but we're saving, you know, a few hundred bucks a year or whatever. <laughs> and, and then we go to the ones that you can use from our cell phone or we can use from a computer. And, and, and I realized I put my thermostat in that guy's room. I put my thermostat in his office. And every time I've put my thermostat in somebody else's office, I can't do the big things he's calling me to do. I'm worried about the four old men, mean old men on a Monday morning 30-some years ago, and I'm not thinking what the Spirit can say to the church and what God wants. I'm worried. I'm worried about this. You've put your thermostat in his office. You've put your thermostat in her office. You've put your, you got big things to do. And you're putting your thermostat in the work office, in the, no, 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 no. I'm done with that. I'm not putting my thermostat in anybody else's office. 
Jesus is going to the cross. The most offensive things are being said about him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Come down from that cross if you really are the son of God. The most offensive things were done to Jesus. Jesus is stripped. Jesus is spit on. Jesus is beat. Jesus has a crown of thorns rammed on his head, blood coming on. Jesus, the most offensive things could possibly be done were done to Jesus of Nazareth. He never put his thermostat in Judas's office. He never put his thermostat in Pilate's office. He never put his thermostat in Herod's office. He never, because he has great things to do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when you and I get to that place, kind of like the new song about lean in, lean, lower, lower, when we get to that place, that's your miracle. That's your miracle. That's your miracle. You're, you're just a couple of steps from your incredible miracle that he has for you. But you got to get over it. You must get over your offense or offenses. Or you'll never, ever, ever get to your miracle. And so this message, it's probably one you've not really thought about before. It's not one I thought about. And this was a blind spot for me. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that has this blind spot, so this sermon was for me. But I know my sheep, and I think it was for all of us today. So, the best thing that you can do is get over it. Not putting my thermostat, not putting it, I'm not putting it there. I'm not putting it, nope, not putting it there. Into your hands, I commit spirit. So I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask you to repent this morning. It's an old-fashioned biblical term, isn't it? I'm going to ask you during this time of prayer that you will actually say, Lord, I have done this and I got big things to do. Forgive me for focusing on the wrong things. I'm, I'm going to focus on what you have called me to be. So we come before you, Jesus. It's quite a story in Matthew 15. I've read it for 35 years and not really understood it until three months ago. Thank you for these realities and truths that you're revealing to us as a church. Now, set us free. Set us free so that we can experience the miracle and then be the son, be the daughter that you've called us to be because we've got really big things to do. We love you so much, Jesus.